It's good to see everybody in the room. I always got to give my shout outs to those of you online. I'm curious, did anybody make it to the marriage night this past Friday? Oh, yeah. That was good times. We had 86 couples in our church just filling up this room and having a ton of fun. My table was rowdy, everybody. I don't know what was wrong with the people at my table. It was rowdy, though. We had a lot of fun. It was good times. But we're going to just kind of continue the conversation now and kind of dig in. I'm curious, for anybody in this room who's been in some type of extended long-term relationship, maybe even a marriage, have you ever had just a good fight? No, like a good one. I'm not talking about, I'm not talking about just the daily, I'm talking like a good fight. Come on, where are my people? You guys got to help me. This is second service, my rowdy crowdy. Where's my help at? All right, some real fights. I, I just got, I'm going to get real because Nicole's not in this service, so I can talk all about this. Earlier this year, Nicole and I had a good fight, a good one. And it kind of just starts with a little petty stuff. You know, it just gets a little edgy. You can kind of feel it. And then you have that moment when one person just takes a swing, you know? You, you know when that happens. And I remember the fight bells going off in my head. I'm like, ding, 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 round one. Let's do this. And here's the thing about fighting as a couple, though. This is why this is so ridiculous. You know you can't win a fight, especially if you're married to the person, because you still have to go back to the house and live with them and share all that stuff. It doesn't work. You always lose. And so the moment... I realized that nobody was winning in this fight. The volume's increasing. The intensity's picking up. I just realized, all right, this is a full-on kamikaze mission now. If I'm going down, you're coming with me. And so we're just going hard back and forth. And the irony of this entire thing is this entire thing transpired in a public park in our neighborhood. Okay? And so me being the more insecure guy... I'm like, hey, babe, let's maybe just take it down like 17 notches just so like all of our neighbors don't think we're crazy. I kid you not, Nicole gets straight up gangster on me. And she's like, she's like, I don't care who hears this. They can just deal with it. We're doing this right now. I'm like, great. So we go through this whole fight, but truly, and here's how these, all these fights work. I have no idea what it was about. I don't even remember. It was one of our biggest fights. I have no idea what we were fighting about. We get home, and the very next day, we start a premarital process with a couple. And I'm not kidding. The woman says this in all seriousness. She's not even joking when she says this. She says, here's the thing, Brian Nicole, you guys wouldn't understand this dynamic in our relationship because you guys don't fight. <laughs> to which I responded, you're actually right. We have figured this marriage thing out. Let me tell you all of our secrets and how we do this. Here's what I know. If you have been in any type of extended relationship, you've gone through it. You've had that daily bickering. You've had those weeks where you're just not clicking. Maybe you've had entire seasons where it feels like the relationship's just not what you know it should be. You've gone through this. And for the last 17 years, we've been in this series called Relationship Reset. If you've been around... And we're not leaving this series until you start listening and doing all the stuff I'm talking about. So we're going to keep talking about it. No, really. We got about two weeks in this, guys. But we knew this was such an important topic, this idea of all of our relationships. We knew we'd have to sit in this for, you know, weeks. But we're going to finish it out next week. But even today, we just want to dig in because we know every single relationship gets dinged up. It just requires that ongoing maintenance, sometimes you even get in a relationship where it gets to a point where it needs a total reset. You have to get it back to functioning the way it was originally intended. Now, here's the thing. The question I really want to press into today, though, is how do you know when a relationship is past the point of saving? How do you know when you get to a point when it's maybe better just to move on instead of stay and try and fix the mess that you're in. Now, I titled today's message, Can This Marriage Make It? And the reason I did that is because I know for anybody, particularly if you have been married long enough, you've asked this question. Can this marriage make it? 
Do I want it to make it? Should this marriage make it? Are we willing to even put in the work? All these questions start spinning around in your mind. And I just even want to take a quick pause even here early in the message. Because maybe some people in the room, you're starting to get a little nervous. Like, where is he going with this thing? How far and hard is Brian to go? Because I know he goes hard in the paint in his sermons. So is he coming on strong today? I know there's some people in our church. Maybe you are in the middle of a marriage that just feels kind of like a mess right now. Like it's not what you want it to be. I'm sure there's many of us in this room where you've been through the experience of a divorce. Personally, somebody in your family, and you just know some of the dynamics of that. I know for many people, you've maybe even been in church settings where you've felt the judgment, condemnation, you've been blocked out of relationships. Like you have even some PTSD around your experience with this particular conversation. And you need to hear me today. Nobody's getting attacked today. I'm not coming after to try and heap anything on top of anybody. And actually, this topic is really strong in my heart. This is something that's really important to me. Because this is now just common knowledge in our culture. This graph up here charts the divorce rate in our country over the decades. And we kind of all know now that 50% of anybody who's ever going to get married is going to have to go through the experience of separating and going through the divorce process. So I can almost guarantee everybody in this room, you've experienced it on some level. And Time Magazine, about 10 years ago, did a full cover article on this whole deal. And they said this in this article. There's no other single force causing as much measurable hardship and human misery in this country as the collapse of marriage. Now, I don't I don't even know if I fully agree with that, to be honest with you, but that's a strong statement right there. And for a lot of people in this room, maybe that's even been your experience, just the pain and even misery of a broken relationship. One reason why I'm so sensitive to this too is Nicole and I both grew up in homes that had divorced parents. So we are very familiar with the experience of all this and understand the nuances, the subtleties, the unique circumstances everybody faces when it comes to this topic. So I'm just very sensitive to it. And one thing you guys need to know, something we're even just kind of passionate about and we talk about as a staff is you will never see a registration or sign-up form in our church that has divorced as a checkbox option for you. That irks me when I see that, to be honest with you. It bothers me. Because I look at this, I'm thinking, divorced is not a relationship status. It's not an identity it's an event that happened in your life and you should not have to identify as divorced in any way. So that's just a passion we have here. But I wanted, I, I just really felt like this was an important thing for us to lean into because it impacts all of us on some level. We go through this. And I know that most marriages in particular, if they go long enough, are going to ask this question, should we get divorced? You go long enough, that question might seep into the back of your mind. Would it be better just to go our separate ways? Or is it worth trying to salvage what we have right here? Should we get divorced? Now, what's interesting is Jesus actually has an encounter that involves this very topic at one point in his ministry. Matthew 19, verse 3, look what happens right here. Some Pharisees came to him, Jesus, to test him. They asked, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason. Now let's get some context here. These Pharisees are the religious establishment at that time. They're, they're the leaders and they hate Jesus. He's a threat to the religious establishment. So they want him out. And what they're trying to do is they're trying to test him. They're trying to trap him into a public debate so they can discredit him with the people at that time. And they're trying to pull him into a massive debate that was happening at that time. And it revolved around marriage and divorce. And so they tried to pin Jesus in the corner. They said, where do you stand on this whole topic? Because there were two camps. On one camp, if you can believe this, the argument was you could divorce your spouse for any and every possible reason. So there was an actual teacher in the day. He said this. He said, if your wife consistently burns the bread in the household, it's grounds for divorce. I'm so glad I didn't hear an amen right there. I was so nervous. I'd hear a husband go, amen, pastor. That, good job. You stayed really quiet, everybody in the room. That was a good spot to be quiet. But this is essentially no-fault divorce. Hey, you don't need necessarily a good reason. 
if you just want to break the thing up, go ahead and do it. But then there was another camp on the other side of the spectrum that said divorce should only happen under extreme circumstances, limited to a very short list of things. And so they're like, which side are you on, Jesus? They want to pin him in a corner. Now, typical Jesus. When we're playing checkers, he plays chess, right? And so he answers their question with another question. And so verse 4, Jesus says, haven't you read? Which, that's just funny because they would have read. They would have read the entire Old Testament and had it memorized. So I feel like Jesus, he gave a nice little jab in there early on. Good job, Jesus. Haven't you read, he replied, that at the beginning, the creator made them male and female and said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother, be united to his wife. He's quoting Genesis right now. And the two will become one flesh. We've talked about that every single week in this series, just how we can't get away from that concept. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. So appreciate that. Thank you. We got one person who's excited to be here today. Thank you. Now, the Pharisees, they asked Jesus, when is it okay to get a divorce? And Jesus says, you're actually starting with the wrong question. The first question you should ask is, what is marriage? It's the first thing we have to make sure we're on the same page about. And so he brings all of their attention back to the very beginning of design itself. And he's saying, you need to understand that marriage is not some random cultural evolution. It was instituted and designed by God himself. And that a husband and wife come together is one flesh. It is the merging of your hopes, your dreams, and your very identity with another person. A total spiritual union. So you need to know, when somebody gets married, it's not the county clerk's office or some officiant. God is actually the active agent in bringing a husband and wife together. Jesus says God actually joins them together. And so the Christian view on this is that the institution of marriage was actually created by God himself. It is baked into the very fabric of reality. And so we don't get to redesign or redefine it ourselves. That's, that's kind of where we're at on this thing. Now, here's Jesus' case, just to sum it up. He's saying you need to understand marriage is so much more than you think it is. It's not something we can just be loose with or flippant about. It's God's design, and it's still valid today. So he kind of pushes back. Now the Pharisees are like, okay, not exactly the answer we expected, but we can work with this. So they're like, let's try to work with what he got with us, and we're going to make this happen. Verse 7, why then, they asked, did Moses command that a man give his wife a certificate of divorce and send her away? So again, they're trying to trap him. They're like, well, hold up, Jesus. We got a verse. <laughs> And they're referencing back to some Old Testament passages talking about divorce. Can we just do a little sidebar here? Just because you have a verse does not mean you're right. There's a lot of people who use the Bible as a very useful weapon in their arsenal of justifying all of their views. And let me just say this. If you are debating Jesus about the Bible, that's not a fight you're going to win. All right? That's going to end very badly for you. Your pants are going to be pulled down. You're going to start looking like an idiot. And this is exactly what's going to happen here. So they're like, well, then why did Moses command divorce? The Bible talks about divorce, Jesus. I don't get it. And Jesus, look at verse 8. Jesus replied, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because your hearts were hard. But it was not this way from the beginning. So again, Jesus doing a whole reorientation here. saying, so you understand, there was never any commands. But God had to allow divorce as a concession to minimize the damage done from broken relationships caused by sin and what he calls hard-heartedness. He says this was not God's design. It wasn't his desire. It wasn't something he ever wanted somebody to experience or have to go through. It's interesting, though, Jesus says ultimately the cause of any marriage dissolving comes from this idea of having a hard heart. Now, if you look at that concept throughout the Bible, it gets brought up at different times. To have a hard heart is to actively resist the will and voice of God in your life. 
ultimately to a point where you, you become hardened to it. You are non-responsive to God, and it can actually lead to having a hard heart towards other people. We all experience this on some level, right? So you, maybe you have like a little wound, you've been wronged in some way, and you just kind of feel a little bit. And sometimes that bitterness starts to fester. It can kind of turn into a little bit of resentment. And then over time, you can actually have contempt even for your very own spouse. Nobody's had this experience before ever, right? Okay. And so Jesus is talking about just this human dynamic we all experience of having a hard heart. So here's just kind of summarizing Jesus' point of view right here, because I want us to catch this. Here's what Jesus is essentially saying. Divorce is an extremely unfortunate, but sometimes necessary option to minimize damage done to people, ultimately caused by hard-heartedness. That's, that's the case Jesus is initially saying. Now, we could stop right here, tie this all up with a neat bow, and be done. Shut the conversation out. But Jesus is not somebody who likes to hide from controversy. So he's like, why not just blow this thing up right now? So he's about to throw a grenade into the middle of the whole conversation. Because if you're going to offend one person, why not just offend everybody, right? So let's go ahead and offend everybody right now. Okay, verse 9. Jesus says, I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, and marries another woman, commits adultery. Now, I know I am holding a nuclear-powered verse in my hand right now. I know this very verse has been used to do a lot of damage. And this verse has been used to hurt a lot of people. I know as people in our church, you have probably agonized over verses like this for years, trying to decide if you are in a place where you're justified to even get a divorce in the situation you're in. So we're about to get deep for a minute. Can you guys go deep with me for a minute? It's about to give. So I need you to, if you, if you're sleeping right now, just wake up for three minutes. You can go back to your nap. Okay. The Broncos don't play till two today. So you got some time to get your energy up. I want you to track me because I want us to be a church that digs into the Bible. Like let's do the hard work here. I don't want to just skate over this. So track with me here. All right. Let's go on this journey together. Now easily. Thank you. Easily. We could take that one verse and a lot of people say, okay, what Jesus seems to be saying is that the only legitimate grounds to ever divorce is adultery, extreme forms of sexual immorality. That's what, and that's a position many people hold. Now, let, let's just go on a journey together, okay? Mark 10, 11, Jesus says this, anyone who divorces his wife and marries another woman commits adultery against her. Did you notice a difference in that one? No exceptions given in that verse, none. Luke 16, 18, anyone who divorces his wife and marries another woman commits adultery. And the man who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. So here's what you see. No exceptions given in this section. None. Is Jesus contradicting himself? He's saying two different things. Like he's, he's talking out of both sides of his mouth. Which one is it, Jesus? Are there grounds or are there not? And here's what we have to understand. You have to pay close attention to how Jesus sometimes teaches in the Bible. Because he's not always saying things in the same way. And, and I know this is why people are like, this is why I don't like the Bible, Brian. It's confusing. But just let's pause here for a moment. You will sometimes see Jesus give unqualified statements that have clear exceptions. Now, track with me. Let me give you an example. Matthew 5, 22. This is Jesus. Anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. Is that a strong statement? That is a hard word, okay? Thank you, Jesus, for the kick between the legs. Now, Matthew 23, 17. Look what Jesus says. You blind fools. Does anyone here think Jesus is in danger of the fire of hell? If he is, we're shutting the service down. We're all screwed. It's over for every person here. It's over. So you look at this, you're like, what is Jesus doing? Like, I don't understand. You see in this moment, he's, what Jesus is doing, he's trying to get to the heart of the matter. And he will sometimes use unqualified statements to drive a statement hard and force a response. He's focusing on the heart. So he's talking about an unjustified use of the word fool in this case. And so we look at divorce, we see that there's nuance to this conversation. And I just want to see this because 
it looks like Jesus said, okay, there's one exception about the sexual morality piece, but then it's like, but then he says there's no exceptions. And then there's other parts in the Bible that seem to give exceptions too. Stay with me, okay? We need to get through this thick part. 1 Corinthians 7, 12. This is Paul. To the rest I say this, I, not the Lord. Now pause. Some people say that, well, what, what is Paul saying? Is this like not as authoritative? All he's saying is, I don't have a direct quote from Jesus, but again, this still has authority. If any brother has a wife who's not a believer and she is willing to live with him, he must not divorce her. And if a woman has a husband who is not a believer and he's willing to live with her, she must not divorce him. So pause. At this time, you know, this is early Christianity. A lot of people are getting radically saved and they're already in marriages. And so one spouse would become a Christian. They're in love with Jesus. Their whole life has changed and their spouse is just not into it. Some of us have had that experience even here. And so a lot of them were asking the question, well, we're not spiritually compatible anymore. We're not even on the same page when it comes to God. Would it be better for us just to go our separate ways? And interestingly, Paul doesn't say, yeah, that probably makes the most sense now that you guys aren't jiving spiritually. He says, no, your marriage covenant is so important and so profound. Even if you don't agree about Jesus, you should stay together. You should keep that covenant. But look in verse 15. But if the unbeliever leaves, let it be so. The brother or sister is not bound in such circumstances. God has called us to live in peace. So you see right here, another exception. Paul says you might be in a situation where your spouse leaves you. And he says, in that case, you're not bound to that covenant. They've left. The, the marriage has dissolved. And you're not responsible or accountable to that situation. And so this opens up a whole door, everybody, to what do we do with extreme cases of abuse, maybe abandonment, other extremely destructive behaviors that can sometimes even make marriages untenable. Like they're not even possible to function. So what is the biblical stance then when we consider all of the data, all of the verses? This is what I believe Jesus is doing. When Jesus talks about divorce, listen to me. He is emphasizing a general rule about marriage and divorce, and he is not attempting to cover every single exception. He is not attempting to provide an exhaustive teaching on the matter. He is trying to get to the heart. That's what he's trying to do. He's driving to the heart of the matter. And this is the heart. Jesus is saying, a marriage covenant is such a profound supernatural connection that there are many people who will sometimes leave, abandon, or break it off for non-essential reasons. And he says, while the world sometimes will see that as reasonable or even justified, God sometimes doesn't. He still sees that covenant as having some intact components. So I believe this is the heart of Jesus. Hear this heart, because I know this is very real for a lot of us. This is the heart of God, I believe, on the matter. God's desire is for a husband and wife to experience a lifetime of covenant commitment, joy, unity, and oneness. That, that would be his heart, that it would be this fulfilling lifetime connection. And that his design is that this is a supernatural connection joined by God himself. And if that's the case, you're not just roommates. You, you are a husband and a wife in covenant together. And sometimes our culture doesn't recognize how powerful that connection is. Sometimes the husbands and wives, we don't even recognize how powerful that is. But because that's the case, even in a broken marriage, Jesus is saying, you should do everything you possibly can to try and repair and restore a broken marriage. You should make every effort possible within reason. But he opens the door. There are times when divorce may be a valid and even necessary decision to minimize damage from a broken relationship. And actually, sometimes divorce can provide somebody a merciful path towards freedom from a broken marriage covenant. It's not what God wanted, but it's sometimes necessary and unique in extreme circumstances. Now, some people hear this teaching and they're like, Brian, this is why I don't like Christianity or the church. Sometimes it feels heavy-handed. I mean, what? 
am I supposed to be in a miserable marriage my entire life? Is that what you're saying right now? Like I'm just supposed to stick it out? That's absolutely not what I'm saying. But one thing you do have to realize, and many of us have experienced, a divorce is spiritual amputation. It is ripping apart two people that have committed to a covenant relationship. It's not just like taking a coat off. It's like getting your leg chopped off. And many of us, you know this experience. You may have been in a situation where when you actually got the paper signed, you got divorced, it was actually a relief because you got out of a miserable situation. But the years leading up to that moment were like a slow cutting of the knife on your soul as you were trying to separate that relationship. And really the heart of God is that he wouldn't want anybody to have to go through that. And it's just an unfortunate reality of our broken world that it's sometimes necessary in different situations. So that's the reality. It's an unfortunate thing we have to navigate because of the hardness and the brokenness of this world. And sometimes that question may actually be valid. Should we get divorced? In some cases, it might be. And we can't go into every nuance there. But here's my hope. Because I know every marriage struggles at some point, so this is now relevant to all of us. Here's my hope. That before any couple ever gets to that question, they would ask this one on a regular basis. How can we reset together? Okay, how can we get unified again and get on the same page with all of this? Now, here's what I'm saying. Every couple, you get out of sync and you got to reconnect, you got to reset, and you got to come back together and fight for that thing. So again, some of you guys, it's just the regular maintenance. You got to get back in this habit. Some of the couples in our church, you are thinking about papers right now. And maybe this is a question that should be asked first, just something to consider. I can't touch every nuance, but I want to speak to some biblical principles here that I think speak to all couples when it comes to resetting and realigning your relationship. So this is good for everybody. Apply it to your situation. First one, you must remember your covenant. Now, this is what is so powerful about the Christian worldview. You're not just a roommate with that person. You have made a commitment to them that is profoundly spiritual that God has joined together. I actually, I had coffee with a couple in our church this week. They will be married 50 years in December. 50 years. Isn't that crazy? Yeah, 50. Now, I had to ask them. I said, guys, how? I, I just, I got to know. What is the secret? To which they responded, a lot of alcohol. <laughs> they didn't say that. I'm sure that they were thinking that. All right. I appreciate we can have some fun in here too. You know, it, it was interesting though to hear them because the wife, she was like, you know, honestly, Brian, she said that she said, you just have to remind yourself that you have made a commitment to this person. And she said, we have been through it over these 50 years. Man, they had some stories to share. But they were like, at the end of the day, we made a promise to each other. And we're just fighting to keep that promise sometimes even 50 years in. And this is the power of reminding yourself of your covenant. We're one together. We're in this thing. And so it's worth doing everything we can to try to reset and restore it when it gets out of balance and disjointed. Remember your covenant. Another one, though. Do not allow emotions to drive decisions. Okay, you never want to make any permanent decisions in the heat and intensity of some of the moments you experience in a marriage relationship. You just discovered a lie or something came up in the relationship you didn't know about or you're coming off an explosive fight. That is not the time to start deciding things that have implications for the rest of your life. Okay, so sometimes you just got to let the dust settle a little bit you got to let the volume come down and you just got, you got to say, I cannot make any drastic decisions. And sometimes these emotions, they're flaring for weeks and months even. You just can't get out of the cycle. But you just, you got to slow it down. You cannot make any drastic decisions when the emotions are high and they run hot sometimes. Now this is connected to this idea right here though. Create space for God to work. 
I don't know if any of the other couples have experienced. Sometimes Nicole and I, we just get stuck in the revolving door of drama. You ever get that? You're just like, we can't, we're just, you know, it's not working. And then you fall into another thing and the cycle just kind of happens again. You can't get out of that funk. And we found that sometimes a little space is just necessary. I remember talking to some guy in the church. He said, you know, sometimes when it just gets too hot, I just go in the basement. Just go in the basement, let it cool off, get a little separation. And so some of you guys know, you get in those fights and you're just getting nowhere. You're just stuck. And you're just button heads. One thing, again, Nicole and I found is sometimes we'll just stop and I'll say, babe, I love you. Okay, I love you. But we're not resolving this right now. It's, it's too hot. And sometimes people have told me, they'll just go for a walk around the neighborhood. One person will just go for a walk. Let's just let this breathe for a second. Let's create some space and let God work in our hearts. And that important thing, though, is you need to let them know, I love you. We just, we're not going to fix this right now. Or I'm leaving for work. This is not the time to fight over this thing, all right? If anybody's had that experience. And so you just let it breathe, create some space. Sometimes it's 15 minutes, sometimes an hour. Actually, there are sometimes even extreme situations where you need to create very real space. You know, sometimes I'll talk to couples and there's, there's abuse in the relationship. There's sometimes physical, emotional abuse. There's dynamics where it's actually not good for them to even be in physical proximity of each other. And so sometimes we'll even tell couples, you know what, you guys need just some separation right now. And sometimes actually that physical separation will force one or both people to confront sin in their lives. And they step back, they're like, whoa, this is kind of serious right now. Like we need to figure this thing out. And actually sometimes I'll even talk to some couples who are on the verge of divorce, like the papers are ready, They've made it up in their minds. I will almost never recommend a couple just jump in and do that immediately. Whatever the dynamics are, I'll say, what if you guys just did a trial separation just for a season? Let's not sign anything yet. You go find an apartment. You stay in the house. Take a month. Take 60, even 90 days sometimes. And we can have some healthy conversations, but we need space right now. And let's just see what God does in our hearts and minds so we can start to reset together. Sometimes you just need some space to figure this out. And even when that's going on, there's a question every single one of us should be asking when the drama starts to pick up in a relationship. Is there any hardness in my heart? And I find it so interesting. Jesus said the ultimate cause of any marriage that ultimately dissolves can be drawn back to a hard heart. And I told you what that was. Any of you gardeners in the room, you know what kind of soil you want, right? For your tomatoes in the backyard. You want just nice, soft soil. It's responsive. Life can come out of it. It's good. Now, what is Colorado soil like? Concrete, right? Your grass doesn't even live without 100 gallons of water a day. It's ridiculous, all right? And again, we all have a tendency over time for the soil of our hearts to actually start to harden. It's just a tendency for every single one of us. And the hard thing about this, though, is I know, again, every situation is different. There's some people that are like, well, hold on, Brian. They're the one who did the thing. Like, this is on them. All right? This is their fault. Now, hear me. When I talk about a hard heart, I am not talking about the pain of a betrayal. I'm not talking about just the emotional, overwhelming feelings that are very legitimate when something massive can happen in a relationship. It can take years to process and heal from things that happen in a relationship. Years. I'm not talking about that. But even if you're the person who was wronged in a big way, you are going to have a temptation to allow the soil of your heart to start to harden towards that person. And the bitterness and the resentment and the contempt will slip in, making repairing the relationship that much harder. Some of us, we're the ones who did the wrong thing. And we are just unwilling to take responsibility and own up to the damage we've done to the relationship. It's a hard heart. And so, Whatever the situation is, sometimes it's a mixed bag. You have to ask, where am I allowing my heart to become hard towards this person? And as you start doing that self-reflection, you then need to take the next step and break up the hard areas. You got to bring a jackhammer to the concrete in your soul. 
And anytime you read through the Bible, it's interesting. The same solution is brought when it comes to a hard heart, and it's actually humbling ourselves. That is the till for the soil of your heart. It's actually humbling yourself. And so you need to take a moment. Humble yourself before God. You repent. You ask for forgiveness. You do the work. You lower yourself before God. That's humbling yourself. That's actually not always the hard part. You know what the hard part sometimes is? Humbling yourself to the other person. It can be so hard to eat some humble pie with somebody that you're in it with and just say, man, I'm sorry. I know there's some stuff I brought to this, even though maybe they did more stuff and bring in your stuff. And the thing that I think is so hard about it, when you humble yourself, you are ripping your heart wide open for them just to stab and trample all over. It is a vulnerable moment. But the challenge is, that is the only way to crack the door open for real reconciliation and healing in a relationship. You have to start humbling yourself. It's the only way to break up the hardness of your heart in the relationship. And you can never soften somebody else's heart, but you can soften yours and pray for theirs. And sometimes you might be surprised as you start to soften yourself, they might even catch on to some of that too. And it might actually encourage their own process. So break up your heart areas. But there's one other piece I just want to mention. Involve a third party. You know, sometimes you just need somebody to talk to. And even if it's just on the little stuff, sometimes you just need to call up a friend and vent about your spouse every now and then. You just got to do it. And so don't make it your mom, all right? Don't complain to your mom about your spouse. Find somebody else. But sometimes you just need somebody who's just going to talk some reason into you and just listen. And so you just need that. You need a third party. You need a friend. Just somebody to bounce stuff off of just in the daily stuff of marriage. But sometimes it gets a little bit more serious than that. And you just need somebody to step in to help you work out an issue and maybe make some major decisions. Sometimes that's a professional counselor, it's a pastor or whatever. And I just want you to know, if that's something you might even want to do, there's never any shame in this. We actually, on our website, nhills.org slash resources, there's a whole list of counselors we have a relationship with as a church. And maybe just reach out and say, hey, we just need a session or two. We need to work some stuff out. We're just struggling in this. Or reach out to us at the church, info at nhills.org, just email. You don't have to emotionally vomit all over the email. Just say, hey, we want to connect with a pastor. You don't even have to give a good reason. I'll reach out to you, somebody else on staff. We'll sit down and we'll just get the conversation going. We'd love to help you with that. But sometimes it just takes somebody else to come in and help you make the thing happen. But here's the amazing thing. Every marriage has a different experience. But I have seen couples who weren't even talking to each other, couldn't even stand to be in a room together, have God work on their hearts, and get to a point where their marriage was able to reset and restore. And now they're happily married. I've seen people that have gone through some of the hardest situations in their marriage, and yet they come back, and now God has written a beautiful story. It's, it's happened for some couples. And actually, there's a couple in our own church that have become good friends for Nicole and I, and they've been married long enough to have ridden that roller coaster that some of you guys know. They know the ups, they know the downs, and they've had times where they thought, man, would it be better just to go our separate ways? But they, they started to lean in and do some of the hard work. And actually, I want you to take a look at the screens and hear a little bit more of the story right now. My name is Edgar. And my name's Yetta. And we met about 15 years ago. I saw her and I was mesmerized, right? I couldn't take my eyes off of her. I was like, wow. I was like, God made this woman for me. I was like, I am going to marry her. We've been married for 15 years. We're going on 15 years in November. We have three kids, uh, 10, 12, and 14. The first few years of our marriage, they were kind of just, I guess, getting to know each other, you know? Getting to actually be like, okay, what did we get ourselves into kind of situation? But like, we've always managed to stick together through thick and thin, honestly, you know? Through hardships, through financial hardships, through anything Emotional that, hardships. Emotional hardships. Oh my goodness. Life and death situations, high-risk pregnancies. Our marriage did go through a hardship that I didn't think we were going to make it through. Um, but I've seen, you know, the change in his commitment and his um, arrepentimiento. How do you say arrepentimiento? Uh, repentance. <laughs> his repentance um, on, you know, things that we have gone through. And I've seen God work in him. And I don't think that if God wasn't in our relationship, we wouldn't be where we're at right now. Um, he's just, I'm still healing, and I think it's just a journey that I'm gonna 
have for a while. We have been through the ringer um, almost our entire marriage. Um, if it wasn't um, financially, it was mentally, physically, emotionally, like we have been through the ringer in and out. Um, we've always backed each other up on, on everything that we've had, but our latest season in life um, was probably the hardest one for, for us, both of us, is is to unload my baggage um, and opening up vulnerably and showing my wife of everything that I am and everything that I've done and took responsibility um, so I can live in the light and not hide anything in the darkness. And and it was a, it was a very, very hard time. And we still go through rocky roads and um, whatnot, but the life that we live now after letting everything out is so much better and so much rewarding than what we lived before. I seen what broken marriages do. And I didn't want that for my girls. I didn't want that for us. And as long as he was willing to show me that change and show me that he was really committed once again to us, I was willing, you know, with God first to give him the opportunity to show me that we were gonna get through this, that, that we could surpass this. I decided to stay and fight because of the love that I had for my wife the love that I have for my girls. But at the end of the day, it was it was getting into the word that really opened my eyes and just took the veil off, you know, and I, I just said, no more. And I said, I'm gonna fight with it all I have. I'm never gonna give up. And again, it's so important to take responsibility over everything that happens in your household. Until I saw that Jesus walked in the light every day of his life it was me that had to replicate for the couples that are struggling right now i'd say you know that there is hope you know just keep strong keep your faith alive keep jesus in your marriage you know pray together um come together find people in the congregation find people in the church that are willing to fight with you and i think a lot of time um, couples think that they're the only ones going through something mm -hmm. and it's not you realize when you open up, oh my God, there's so many more people or couples going through it. And then so it kind of lifts that relief of like burden of, you know, the hurt. And so like it, it helps, it helps the healing process within your marriage and the construction um, in your marriage. It's just, you have to heal from the inside out. Definitely for, for the couples that are in the congregation and that need help, especially the men that are afraid to lose everything that they've ever worked for. Um, I'm here to tell everybody that as long as your faith stays in Jesus and you keep him in between you guys, you won't lose it. Um, yes, and you guys gotta get rid of the shame, the guilt, um, and just let go and let God. Now, if Edgar and Yada were up here, they'd be the first to tell you, it's not all peaches and rainbows right now. It ain't all perfect. This marriage thing is still a journey. It's very real. And maybe some of you watch that and you think, well, good for them. I'm glad, you know, they've gotten through some of those tough seasons. But Brian, I got divorced years ago. Like, it, it's over. Or I think I'm at a place in my marriage where this is probably beyond repair. I don't, I don't think this is gonna happen. So I, I, don't, I don't know how this applies to me. You know, there's a moment in Jesus' ministry when he encounters a woman and they start having a conversation about her relationship status, as one does, apparently. And she mentions how she's not married. And Jesus says, well, actually that's true. And you've also been married five times. And you're even living with a guy you're not married to right now. And you just imagine, you know, how embarrassing even that is in our day today. You know, and I've been married five times. There could be a lot of shame with that. Imagine how this woman must have felt even in that culture at that moment. And yet, even as that was all coming to light in her conversation with Jesus, he didn't pour on any shame. He didn't bring any condemnation on her. All he brought was grace 
and mercy and love. And ultimately he gave her what she truly needed, which was himself, a real relationship with Jesus. And it changed everything for her. So you need to know today, there's no judgment here. There's no condemnation. Every single one of us has a story in this place that's unique. But for all of us, regardless of what your story is and where you're at right now, there's one thing you must remember, and it's God's commitment to you. It's an interesting story in the Bible of a guy named Hosea. Now, he's just living his life, minding his own business, and then God comes along and says, I have a very special opportunity for you. I want you to marry a prostitute. How would you like that to be your call from God? Not only that, her name is Gomer. Okay, not only you're marrying a prostitute, her name's Gomer, everybody. This is a bad day in Hosea's life. And this guy ends up marrying this woman and she does everything you would expect her to do. She cheats on him, she's unfaithful, she leaves him for another man, he has some children with her, it's questionable whether they're even his. Like, she just puts him through the ringer and at one point she's left him for another guy and God tells Hosea, I want you to go find her and I want you to buy her back and love her as your precious wife. And you hear that, you think, why would God put him through this experience? And the reason is because God is trying to show us what his relationship with us is like. Every single one of us treats God like Gomer treated Hosea. We are unfaithful. We are inconsistent. We are not committed to our covenant with God. And we seek happiness, meaning, and fulfillment outside of him in so many different areas of our lives. You know, God has grounds to divorce you. Like, he can serve you the papers today. Say, man, you've been unfaithful on every level. And he can just leave us in this hopeless, helpless state, totally abandoned, and he would be perfectly justified and warranted to do so. And you know what God says? Even though you don't keep your covenant with me, I will always keep my covenant with you. I will never fail you. I will never abandon you. And even if we leave him, he will come and find us and buy us back. And that is exactly what the gospel is, everybody. It is God going as far as he possibly could to restore our relationship with him, to do a total reset. And that's what Jesus did on the cross. He gave his very life to buy you back so you could have a relationship with him. So you need to know God has never forsaken you. He never will forsake you. However you've been failed or hurt or how you've messed up, God will never do that. He is the perfect spouse. And maybe you've never taken that chance to truly give yourself to God in a true relationship with him. Today would be a great time to say, Jesus, I want a relationship with you. And for all of our couples in this room, I know we're in different places. I would say, if you have a husband and wife who are genuinely softening their hearts to God and trying to open themselves up to Jesus, that is a marriage that has a lot of hope, everybody. That's a marriage that has a future. And so for any of our couples in the room, I would just challenge you to recenter your relationship around Jesus and what he can do in your relationship. And so as we close today, let's all reset with God. Let's soften our hearts to him and see what he can do in our own lives. And actually, we're gonna take a moment to do just that. You should have gotten a communion cup when you walked in. Now, if you don't wanna participate, you're new to the church or you're still exploring Christianity, there's no pressure or expectation. You can just sit through this moment. If you didn't get a cup while you walked in, you can actually just raise your hand real quick and somebody will get one to you in just a minute. We got a good number of people, all right? We will get you. People are coming around right now. So as we get those cups distributed, communion, is actually a reset opportunity with God. It's a way just to reconnect with him and remind ourselves of what Jesus has done for us. And it's a practice that Jesus instituted himself 2,000 years ago. He said, we should do this in remembrance of him and what he's done for us. And so as we get all these elements passed around, Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, was talking to his disciples. And he took some bread and he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. And as you get these little cups, you can open up the top. It can be a little complicated sometimes. 
you can take this little wafer. Again, this is a moment to reset with God to remind ourselves of him buying us back for a restored relationship with him. So let's take this bread and remember Jesus' body broken for us. Let's take the bread together. same way that night Jesus took a cup and he said this is the blood of the new covenant this is my blood which is poured out for you for the forgiveness of sins and so let's take this cup together and remember Jesus blood poured out for us let's drink together Jesus we thank you so much for resetting our relationship with you, for your sacrifice. God, that you are the perfect, faithful spouse. You have never failed us. You have never fallen short. You will always be faithful to us. We're so thankful that however we have messed up or been failed, we always have that hope and that confidence. Lord, I want to pray for any marriages in our church right now that are struggling, that maybe are even asking the question, should we get divorced? Would that be better? I pray, Lord, that you would just start doing the work, that you would create the space, that you would allow for the soil of our hearts to be softened up, and Lord, that there would just be clarity, that there would just be unity in the decisions. Lord, I just pray for guidance and wisdom. I know there are so many hard cases, so I just pray, Lord, for your wisdom and help. I pray for people to reach out for a third party if that's necessary. We just ask for your help in that, Lord. I pray for anybody right now who has maybe been through a divorce, been impacted by a divorce, has been through just a very difficult season or situation. Lord, I pray today that there would not be an ounce of shame or guilt or condemnation, but even your love right now and grace would flow in their hearts, that they would know that they are a precious son and daughter of God, and that you would even use some of the broken parts of our story, Lord, and bring redemption and healing and grace. I pray for that in our church. And for anybody in this room, if you truly have not trusted Jesus with all of your life, right now in this moment, you can reach out to him just in your heart and mind. Say, Jesus, I'm reaching out to you. Forgive me of my sin. I want to know you. I want you to be in my life. And Jesus, I pray for those reaching out to you right now that they would see that you are the living God, that you transform lives, that they would be able to walk with you the rest of their lives. And for the marriages in this room, that we would center ourselves around Jesus, that we'd see the beauty of the covenant commitment. And Lord, for all of us, that we would just walk in your ways. And we pray this in the wonderful name of Jesus. Everybody said, amen. Thanks for tuning into this week's message. If you would like to learn more about Northern Hills, you can go to nhills.org. You can also follow us online on Facebook, YouTube, or Instagram for more updates and events. We look forward to seeing you next week.